Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer with part two of our conversation with Dr. Rudy Tanzi, Vice Chair of Neurology at Mass General and Harvard's Medical School and co-director of the McCann Center for Brain Health. Dr. Tanzi has co-authored four books, including the New York Times bestsellers, Super Brain, and more recently, The Healing Self, with integrative medicine guru Deepak Chopra, on how to maximize the brain's potential. I asked Dr. Tanzi how the two of them connected and what he had personally discovered through this creative collaboration. About 12 years ago, we gave talks together at a TED conference. It was a session on aging, and Deepak talked about the spirituality of aging. I talked about the science of aging. And then Quincy Jones spoke about being an aging musician, and I think Frank Gehry spoke about being an aging architect. It was a really cool session. And literally later on in the men's room, the Hotel Dell in Coronado in San Diego, Deepak turns to me and says, I liked your talk, so tell me, is the brain a noun or a verb? And I said, oh, um, I think it's more of a verb, but you know, let's talk outside because we're in the men's room. So that's how we met. And over time, we became you know, close friends. And we said, you know, it might be a powerful combination to take Deepak's you know, more alternative guru-type status about alternative medicine and aging and combining spirituality with the fact that he is an MD, he's a medical doctor, and me bringing the scientific substance of neuroscience and genetics and said, let's, let's write a book together that marries the two. We don't want it to be woo-woo. And we want it to be serious science, but we want to make it readable by the masses. The first book I wrote was actually with Ann Parsons. It's called Decoding Darkness. And that was about how we found those first Alzheimer genes and the hope for hitting amyloid. And now, 20 years later, that book's coming true. Like hitting amyloid is actually working. In Superbrain and Supergenes and the healing cell for Deepak, the idea was to teach people about how the brain works. How do genes work? How does the immune system work? And then the second half of each book was, what can we do about it? How can we take this information in everyday life? We can modify our lifestyle to try to reduce our risk for age-related diseases like Alzheimer's. I think the last one, The Healing Self, was the one that inspired me the most to go out and talk about what can you do to offset your risk for Alzheimer's despite your genetics and your family history. In your book, The Healing Self, take us through SHIELD, your acronym for brain health, and why you put sleep at the top of the list. In The Healing Self, in the second half of the book, we had what's called an action plan. The main idea was how can you reduce amyloid plaque and neuroinflammation in your brain? What can you do? And at the time when the book came out, I had to do some book talks, and I was trying to think about a way to encapsulate that information, and literally had an idea in the shower. And I keep a pad on my shower called Aquanotes, and the pencil says on it, don't let those good ideas go down the drain. You're in the shower, you know, you're nice and relaxed, and you're getting all these ideas, and then you get out of the shower, and you're like, what was I saying? What was I thinking? So, you know, I wrote down this acronym. I came up with SHIELD, and S is for sleep, because it's during sleep that those little cells in your brain called microglial cells clear the amyloid. This is what lecanemab, adjuhelm, what these antibodies, these amyloid immunotherapies do, is they bind the amyloid, and they tell the cells around it the microglial cells to eat the amyloid and get rid of it. And I'm developing now cheaper, safer drugs that will do that. But the easiest way to do that is sleep. 
because right after you're done dreaming and you go into deep sleep, these little cells activate and start eating the amyloid. Now, some people can't get enough sleep. So I say, look, try for seven to eight hours. But even if you get five to six hours, if you have one good power nap where you have a little bit of dreaming, deep nap, you dream a little bit, then have some deep sleep, maybe drool a little bit on your desk. That's like one rinse cycle in the brain. Every time you go from dreaming to deep sleep, if you carry a Fitbit or one of these devices that tells you about your sleep, every time you see you go from REM to deep sleep, that's one rinse cycle in the brain where you're clearing amyloid. You want to have as many of those per day as you can. So you try for seven to eight hours, and if you don't get it, at least take a good power nap. So you joke about sleep as mental floss. Can sleep patterns be turned into a diagnostic for brain disease? Yeah, at the McCann Center for Brain Health, we have a whole study doing exactly that, where we're looking at lifestyle behaviors, including sleep, as early indicators of Alzheimer's disease, in addition to biomarkers in the blood and genetics. So yes, sleep can be an indicator. And that's a very active study we're doing at the McCann Center for Brain Health. Rudy, I remember you mentioning that you've been a vegetarian since college. Can you tell us about the gut-brain connection? Well, that's the D in SEAL. D is diet. And Mediterranean diet, plant-based fruit, fiber, seeds, grains, nuts, less red meat. I'm a vegetarian, but you know, if it's fish, careful with the fatty fish because they have heavy metals in them and that can cause their own problems. When you think about your gut microbiome, people take probiotics or eat yogurt, which is great. You're adding in bacteria that are good, but it's more important to give the 8,000 species of bacteria, trillions of them in your gut, the food they want. They like plants. They like fiber. They like nuts, grains, seeds, veggies, and fruits. And if you keep those gut bacteria happy, they'll keep your brain healthy. So prebiotics, which means plant-based diet, is probably more important than the probiotic you take every day. And what we've learned, and we've published many papers on this, is that we can manipulate the gut microbiome in a way that the signals from the gut to the brain both reduce inflammation and enhance the clearance of amyloid. And again, the key is these little cells in the brain called microglia. So you have to remember, these little cells have three jobs, usually housekeeping. When you're in deep sleep, they wake up and say, hey, clear amyloid, clear all this crap out of here. While they're cleaning, they're also sentinels. And they're looking for one thing, dead neurons or dead cells. Because if they sense that cells have died, they assume one thing, right or wrong. It's an infection. That's how they were programmed. They're not only the housekeepers, but they're homeland defense for the brain. So while they're cleaning up your amyloid during deep sleep, if they're eating nerve cells that may have died due to tangles caused by the amyloid, they're getting excited. They're like, hmm, that's not good. That's like a dog growling. There's something wrong here. And now, eventually, if they get enough signals of nerve cells that died, they stop housekeeping. They change their shape. They turn into SWAT team. They stop wiping out that part of the brain because the assumption is there's an infection, even if there's not. So this is evolutionary baggage that we carry, right? These microglial cells are great. They take care of the brain, they're nurturing, they're housekeeping. But unfortunately, they didn't get the memo that we live as long as we do. And they didn't get the memo about Alzheimer's disease. When plaques and tangles are causing a little bit of cell death, they get all excited while they're cleaning and they cause 10x cell death. That's the neuroinflammation. That's when you get the symptoms of the disease. That's why I say if you want to treat a patient who already has a disease, put out the fire of neuroinflammation. You need a microglial chill pill. Tell those cells to calm down, go back to housekeeping, keep calm and carry on. If you want to prevent the disease or reduce risk, get those housekeepers to work faster. That means sleep, 
that means the lecanemab antibody or other ways we're developing known drugs and natural products that can ramp up that cleaning ability. So that's how to think about it. So Rudy, the E in shield is for exercise. We're all working on that, but you recently co-authored a paper that identifies a muscle hormone called irisin that has the same benefits without the need for exercise. Tell us more. Now, in the exercise, there are two things to think about. One is what you just mentioned. When you exercise, there's what's called a myokine. This is a small hormone made by muscles that gets released and goes into the brain, and it does some really good things. It helps with synaptic activity and your neuronal activity, but it also leads to the breakdown of amyloid in a different way. Instead of getting the microglial cells to eat the amyloid, the exercise-induced irisin that goes into the brain actually causes the production of an enzyme that breaks down the amyloid. That enzyme is called neprilysin. That's another way to get rid of the amyloid, right? The brain has all different ways to get rid of amyloid. The most common one is when you sleep, the little cells eat it. But you can also make enzymes that break it down, and that's what exercise does. The irisin goes to a cell in the brain called the astrocyte. It tells the astrocyte to mass-produce neprilysin and release it, and the neprilysin breaks down the amyloid. But what the other thing exercise does, which is different, is it causes neurogenesis, which means it induces the birth of new nerve cells in the brain. And it only does it in certain regions, but luckily it does it in the region of the brain that's most susceptible to Alzheimer's disease, the short-term memory area called the hippocampus. Hippocampus means seahorse in Greek because it looks like a little seahorse. It really looks like one. In that region, when you exercise, there's factors from the liver that get into the brain and tell the nerve cells to reproduce and you actually get new stem cells and new neurons being born in the hippocampus. Now, those new nerve cells will die. They're little babies in a battle zone. But at the same time, exercise induces another chemical in the brain called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And BDNF helps those little newborn nerve cells to survive, and then that contributes to the strengthening of your short-term memory area of the brain. So those are two different things that exercise does that's so good for you. Rudy, you have a 14-year-old daughter. I have grandkids in their teens and early 20s. Project the future when they're 40 or 50 when it comes to avoiding neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Well, I think by then, there'll be more convincing data that SHIELD works. And in fact, we, we're doing a lifestyle trial together with Dean Ornish in California, where soon we'll be able to release the results. But this is a lifestyle trial on Alzheimer's patients we're very excited about. And I think over time, the younger generations will realize that SHIELD and lifestyle recommendations are not just something to consider, but they're obligatory. It will be as obligatory as making sure you get enough vitamin C. They'll get enough sleep. H, handle stress. They'll be more mindful. They may have meditation practices to handle stress. The I is interact with others. Already this generation is more social, that's for sure. Just take social media alone, which can cause stress, so you have to be careful. They exercise more. They're learning more. They're more curious. Their diets are already better. So we're going to see more of S.H.I.E.L.D. in these younger generations. But just in case, for them, just like we get a cholesterol test now by a certain age, by a certain age, they'll get an amyloid test or other tests to say, is age-related pathology beginning in your brain? Most likely the age-related pathology of Alzheimer's, but it could also be for Parkinson's or frontal lobe dementia or even ALS. We'll be looking for the early signs of these misfolded proteins like amyloid and tangles building up in the brain. 
And at an early age, we will nip it in the bud. We will not wait for the brain to degenerate to the point of dysfunction and say, okay, now you have Alzheimer's disease. You'll say, hey, you have this pathology now, treat it now, so you never get to the point of even remote or mild symptoms of this disease. That's going to be the future. Rudy, and for those in the audience, myself included, 60 plus, is there still hope? Absolutely. I hope so. I'm 60 plus. There's different levels of hope. For patients who have Alzheimer's now, we have to hope that if we hit neuroinflammation, we put out the fire, we will do some good. And I am hopeful about that. I helped start a company eight years ago called Amelix, where we repurposed two drugs that hit neuroinflammation, and we use it in ALS. And today, that's the newest ALS drug, Relivrio. For conflict of interest, I am a, an equity holder co-founder. But that company, just taking repurposed drugs and doing an ALS trial, aiming at neuroinflammation, was able to help patients in terms of effects is probably the best ALS drug out there. It started with two kids from Brown University who were still undergrads who had an idea and came to my lab. Eight years later, they have a company and an ALS drug that's approved. So this is going to be the future, is that we're going to see known drugs and known natural products and combinations right now that are safe being repurposed and rapidly put through trials rather than waiting for pharma companies to only do new chemical entities and new drugs because that's the only way they can make money. I mean, you can't blame them. They have stockholders. They have to make money. But we in the trenches, in academic centers like the McCann Center, we can do repurposing. And then if it's viable, you can still start a company that's successful to put a repurposed combination of known drugs out there rather than waiting for safe new chemical entities. That's going to be a big part of where we're going. Dr. Tanzi, thank you for joining us. In summary, the key for each of us seems to be to stay healthy until the science catches up. Please know that you're always invited back. I've enjoyed our brainstorm, Meryl. Our team is on a mission to help you stay up with the latest scientific breakthroughs, from new therapies to technologies on early diagnosis and personal brain health advice from well-known experts using an equity lens that promotes brain health for all. Now, we'd like to hear what's on your mind. What are the topics and guests you'd like to hear featured on Brainstorm? Send your comments to brainstorm at usagainstalzheimers.org. That's it for this edition. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for brainstorming with us. Subscribe to Brainstorm on your favorite podcast platform and join us on the first and third Tuesday of every month.